Welcome to this week's Money Metals Podcast, helping gold and silver investors during these treacherous times. Now, here's this week's market wrap with commentary and analysis from the company voted 2015's Precious Metals Dealer of the Year in the U.S., Money Metals Exchange. Welcome to this week's Market Wrap Podcast. I'm Mike Leeson. Coming up, we'll hear an insightful and fascinating interview with Steve St. Angelo of the SRS Rocker Report. Steve reveals some alarming information about the silver supply shortage situation and talks about a possible tipping point in global silver inventories. Don't miss my conversation with Steve St. Angelo coming up after this week's market update. Well, it's been quite a tumultuous few days in the financial markets since I spoke with you last Friday. We've seen some of the most severe daily price swings in the stock market since the depths of the 2008 financial crisis. We've also seen the most severe route in crude oil prices in many years. The key energy commodity plunged to as low as $38 per barrel earlier this week before surging an extraordinary 10% on Thursday to over $42 a barrel. Precious metals markets certainly haven't been spared from market gyrations. Gold gained more than 3% last week, only to give it back nearly all of those gains by the middle of this week. But the yellow metal has rallied a bit here yesterday and so far today, with gold prices currently coming in at $1,137 an ounce, off about 2.1% on the week. Turning to silver, prices plunged more than 4% on Wednesday alone to briefly bring spot silver to $14 an ounce. Silver managed to close a few pennies above the $14 level for the day, but the down move did bring silver prices to slight new multi-year lows on the charts. Silver stackers can at least take some encouragement in the fact that silver prices rebounded late in the week to trade at $14.55 as of this Friday morning recording, pairing some of the massive early week losses and is now down 5.3% since last week's close. So if Wednesday's spike low does turn out to be the real bottom, it will be one that no one foresaw and no one had time to call. That's how these markets work sometimes. They seem to exhibit a sadistic streak fooling as many experts as possible, and frustrating as many investors as possible before embarking on a new uptrend. One of the catalysts for the rally in commodity prices yesterday was comments from Federal Reserve officials indicating they're less keen on raising rates next month. New York Federal Reserve Bank Chief William Dudley said the case for a rate hike is, quote, less compelling than it was a few weeks ago. Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers weighed in with stronger language, urging the central bank to stand pat. Is now the wrong time for the Federal Reserve to hike interest rates? Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers thinks so, saying that the Fed would be making a dangerous decision raising rates now. Now that they should have raised it eight months ago, that's when the economy was seemingly improving. Uh, now to do it now is crazy. Um, I will say this. If, this. if this economy can't take a 25%, 25 basis points hike in the, in the Fed funds rate, then we're in really, really deep you-know-what. You know, Markets do have psychology. And if uh, you're telling people that things are really bad out there, that's why we've got to keep rates low. There is a, there's a propensity for people to go out and say, oh, my God, you know, things are really bad. Let's hoard our cash. Let's and buy there, gold. So it appears the Fed critics such as Jim Rickards were right. Rickards appeared on this very program in the spring and said... The Fed's economic models were flat out wrong and that Fed officials were just making things up on the fly. He predicted the economy would underperform later this year and 
make it very difficult for the central bankers to raise rates. That's exactly what seems to be happening. Apologists for the U.S. economy can blame the downturn in China, collapsing emerging markets, currencies, Greece, Russia, or whatever else they want. But the economic collapses taking place overseas may be leading indicators for a crash still to come in the U.S. You've probably heard some of the warnings of a September-October crash from various commentators, including Gerald Salente, Jeff Berwick, Bo Polney, and others. Much has been made of a seven-year cycle coming due next month. It's the same cycle that coincided with the 2008 crash seven years ago, the 2001 terrorist attacks, the 1987 crash, and other major events. Markets do tend to move in cycles, and certainly the seven-year pattern is worth keeping in mind as you plan your investing strategy. But we do caution against reshuffling your entire financial life around one potential scenario. And it is just that, a scenario that could potentially play out starting next month. Nobody knows for sure what the precise timing or fallout of the next financial crisis will be. The warning signs of something big about to unfold are starting to pile up. But as an investor, you need to be prepared for scenarios you expect to unfold, as well as ones you don't. Diversification is key to surviving times like these. Gold and silver aren't guaranteed to go up during a financial crisis, but they can certainly help you survive it. At the end of the day, physical precious metals can't default or go bankrupt. And at some point, perhaps soon, the cycles will turn in favor of precious metals in a very big way. We fully expect that the next cyclical uptrend in precious metals will last for years. That's the time frame investors should be positioning themselves for, come what may, in September. Well, now, without further delay, let's get right to this week's exclusive interview. It is my privilege now to be joined by Steve St. Angelo of the SRS Rocker Report. Steve is an independent researcher and investor who covers the precious metals and energy markets like few others and has one of the best websites in our industry. It's great to have him back on the podcast. Steve, welcome back. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, Mike, there's a lot of uh, interesting things going on in the market, so I think we'll have a lot to talk about today. Well, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today was to talk about the supply situation in silver because it's becoming a very big story and also because you have uh, such a good handle on what's going on, both in terms of the investment demand reported by your array of industry sources, uh, but also what's going on with mine supply. So there are few out there that are better to comment on all these uh, growing silver supply concerns than youth. So thanks for uh, spending some time with us and our audience. Uh, now, I wanted to start out by asking you about mine supply. Uh, you have been reporting about the global silver mine production. Exactly what does your research show in terms of how the world's major producers are doing? And, and what has the output been looking like over the past, say, 6 to 12 months, Steve? Yeah, normally we would see this information released in different websites, but I haven't seen much of it this year. It's been surprising. But anyhow, one of the more stunning uh, data points came out of Australia, and I, I look at this information every day, try to find out when they're going to release it, and Australia actually reported a stunning 31% 31 decline in silver production in the first quarter. So in the first quarter of 2014, uh, Australia produced 491 metric tons of silver. The first quarter of 2015, it had fallen uh, to 340. 
So that, that is a huge amount, and I tried to contact the website uh, to see if this was just a, a glitch, but uh, they normally do a pretty good job. Even if they're going to revise that number, I don't see it revising that much. I, I haven't seen revisions that are that large. So we had Australia, they're down uh, 31%. Now Peru is the number two largest. Australia is actually fourth. Um, Peru so far is up a little bit. Uh, I think they're about 3.5% up uh, compared to last year, and that's as of May. Now, Mexico, which is the largest producer, I found this quite interesting. Uh, Mexico is down about 7% uh, year-to-date, but they were down 12% in April and 10% in May. So actually the first couple of months of the year, their production was up slightly, it started to decline in March and really fell off a cliff in April and May. So Mexico is down year-to-date about 7%. So we don't know China's figures. Uh, they're the third largest producer. We don't know what theirs are, but I think their production is declining. But if we just average the top three of the four here, Australia, Mexico, and Peru, I think mine supply is down 6 to 7%. Now, certain analysts were saying that we were going to see a fall of overall supply, and that includes recycling, of about 4%. Well, so far, and I think if Australia continues to show uh, a large decline in the second quarter, I think we'll, we will see overall production from the mine supply down 6 to 7%. So if, if you add on the scrap supply that is falling, I, it, it could be even higher, almost double the uh, the estimates that they were supposed to be. So this will just cause a little bit more stress on the market as supply, overall supply, this year will fall. These figures may not sound like a whole lot, but, I mean, there is not a lot of margin out there when it comes to supply versus uh, demand. Of course, we know demand is, is uh, soaring, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, you know, this could be a pretty big impact if we have that kind of deficit uh, emerging here on the supply side uh, because that could have some far-reaching implications, could it not? Yes, and I think the way we need to look at this market is that uh, the market can change on a dime. And we saw that in, in uh, July when the U.S. Mint sold 176,000 gold eagles, and that all stemmed from the issues coming out of Europe with the Greek exit and also the, the decline of the Chinese stock market. So investors, when they're very stressed out of the financial system, they really rapidly increase their gold purchases. Now, silver continues to hit all records, uh, demand for silver investment. But, again, this is still a very small percentage of people buying. So when you see this supply, overall supply, starting to decline, at a time when this next couple of quarters could really, uh, we could see a lot of fireworks in the markets as we're already experiencing. It could become even worse. Total demand could totally outstrip supply if investors really start to get worried about the financial system. So it, it, it could virtually happen overnight. What are the repercussions of a dwindling supply deficit in the face of massive demand? I mean, as they say, shortages beget more shortages as industrial users will likely begin hoarding it if they haven't already been doing so. It seems that if concerns develop that silver will be unavailable, uh, the situation could accelerate and, and create some real issues. Do, do you envision that sort of thing happening, and how would we know if we are close to that? 
Well, I think we're starting to see it, and there have been several, I call them tremors. There have been several uh, retail, huge spikes in, in retail silver and gold demand, and that started in 2008. And of course, this all happened after we, we had the first initial shock of the financial system when we, we lost the total U.S. investment market uh, system totally imploded. Um, and we're talking Lehman Brothers that was around since the Civil War. So we, we totally lost the investment banking uh, market. It, it imploded. So did the U.S. housing market as well as AIG. Uh, I mean, AIG stock went from $1,100 in 2007 to $30 in 2008. Investors need to realize how quickly things can change. Now, Another factor is how much silver India is imported. And so far this year, India's imports from January to May are up 61%. Now, here's the clincher. In, uh, analysts thought that now the new uh, President Modi has eased up gold restrictions. They thought they would see a decline in silver imports in 2015 because people would buy more gold. Well, that hasn't happened. Matter of fact, they've bought... 61% more gold, and the uh, August and September are the big buying months for Indians for their festival, as well as December jewelry demand worldwide. So I think the second half of the year may be even uh, higher imports compared to the first half, which were a record to begin with. So when we, when we start adding up all this data, and then this is the, the one thing, I think the wild card that uh, isn't even on the radar, and you spoke about it, Institutions, or let's say fabricators, big manufacturers, they, uh, they purchase silver. And, of course, the largest demand for silver in the world is industrial demand. Even though we'll see a decline of industrial demand going forward, we will still have a lot of industrial demand. Now, in an event of a shortage that goes into the large wholesale shortage, we will see institutions protecting, making sure they get silver. But... What I think the market doesn't realize is silver revalues in price in institutions may stockpile silver not just to have it to manufacture, but it's also a uh, gaining investment. And so it, it might behoove them to uh, double or triple their silver quantity purchases because it's now an investment, much, less, much different than copper. Copper is a base metal. It will never be an investment uh, per se. So I think, Mike... There is a lot of things that the market does not consider that are, uh, let's say, explosions uh, could detonate going forward, that when this market unravels, we could see uh, a tightness where uh, available silver will be very hard to acquire. Yeah, all of this is pointing towards the fact that we could see silver premiums spike massively and almost without notice. Uh, now, you've been saying how... Many may be complacent and view the premium increases in, in retail minted products as unimportant because it's mainly just a, a production bottleneck, and that may be true to some extent, uh, or even mostly. But, but those same people mainly look at premiums on 1,000-ounce exchange bars and argue that that's all that matters, and, and we haven't seen a premium increase yet on 1,000-ounce silver bars, uh, so none of this is a big deal, they say. But You've made the point that when we do see premiums rise on 1,000-ounce bars, it's basically game over. Explain what you mean there. I think we need to understand there are, there are two wholesale markets. There is the – well, there's three markets in, in the silver industry. There's the retail, and let's just discuss retail when it goes to investment. There's retail investment silver, 
market. There is the wholesale that supplies the retail. And then there's the overall wholesale silver market where silver is stored at the exchanges. Uh, the wholesalers, they get their 1,000-ounce bars or whatever, and then they make their silver products that are sold to the retailers. Uh, and so we are seeing already shortages in the wholesale market. That is the one that supplies to the retail. We are not yet seeing a shortage in the wholesale market that supplies the entire silver market. However, when it starts to move there, when it gets in there, I think it will happen very quickly. And if we're seeing between weeks and six, uh, two to, let's say, four to six weeks to two months delays now on products, that's because they're waiting to get silver 1,000-ounce bars and convert them to smaller products. What happens when they cannot get the 1,000-ounce bars? And so when they say now we have a shortage in the wholesale silver market, it, well, it's too late. For, so for uh, analysts or investors to say, well, there's really no shortage now until it goes into the wholesale uh, main market, well, by the time it gets there, then it's too late. And there's very little silver available. Uh, I think on the three exchanges, that's TOCOM, the Shanghai uh, Silver Exchange, and the uh, COMEX, there's only 178 million ounces. But that's, all, that's overall silver. Uh, half of that, or less than half of that, is available to the market. So in a huge increase of in, institutions, as well as large investors and hedge funds, they could totally wipe out the system in, in no time. That leads me right to my next question. I mean, we've had some major fireworks in, in global equity markets this uh, last week or two, and things are happening fast. But in, in terms of silver, uh, you recently wrote that a massive amount of ounces came off of one of those exchanges you're just uh, referring to there, the Shanghai Futures Exchange. Nearly three-quarters of a million ounces worth of silver came out of those warehouses in a single day earlier this week, and, and inventories are, are down some 40% now from where they were just two months ago. Uh, what do you make of all that, Steve? Well, I've been following the Shanghai Futures Exchange silver inventories for quite a long time, and uh, they peaked at about 1,143 metric tons back in March of 2013. And then right after that, we had the huge takedown. We had two huge takedowns in April and then as well as in, in June and July. And the overall inventories on the Shanghai of silver, it continued to fall uh, towards the end of the year. Then they increased a little bit. But then in uh, the beginning of 2014, they peaked again, but not much. They were only 575 metric tons. Well, over the next several months, they fell to 81 metric tons in September. And we had a build up till actually June. And then June 15th, seems to be the demarcation line when we had all these we had that event in Greece and the market turmoil and that's when the switch went off and it, we could see it in all the markets well the uh, Shanghai futures uh, exchange silver peaked in June 15th actually on the date June 15th at 394 metric tons uh, fell into the end of June and then in one day it fell 23 metric tons last week uh, which you said that's that's a a nice size for the comics. So what does this mean? Well, it means that we're, we're continuing to see, not only on the Shanghai, but we're seeing on the comics, we're seeing a drawdown of, of available silver in the wholesale market. 
And the difference is we saw this drawdown take place in 2011. Uh, when actually the COMEX fell below 100 million ounces. But the reason that fell, we saw the COMEX inventories fell, it was due to increased investment demand as well as increased industrial demand. Well, we're not having any increased industrial demand these last past two, three quarters, or let's say six months. We're having lower. So all the drain of all these uh, warehouses on the exchanges is, I say, is due to only investment demand. So... This is the beginning of what I see is a global run on silver, and it will get much worse if we start seeing the continual unraveling of the broader stock markets this fall. A lot of people don't seem to understand that, uh, you know, they see all this massive demand for physical bullion, but meanwhile we're seeing prices continue to remain weak. Uh, got hit earlier this week once again. Uh, what what do you make of that, and when do you envision that sort of dynamic coming to an exhaustion point? Is it, is it when these exchanges default on, on somebody that wants to stand for delivery and then, and then the whole price-setting mechanism system is, is set on its ear? I mean, what, what do you think about all that? Now, that's a tough question, and, of course, this is speculation. Uh, but the reason why we're seeing so much of an increase in investment demand in the retail market is because wealthy investors and they can be multimillionaires, hedge funds, don't want to buy 1,000-ounce bars. The investment bar of choice is like the 100-ounce bar or less. And I hear a lot of wealthy individuals are purchasing a lot of the monster boxes of the silver eagles of the sovereign coins. So they, they're not going to get on the phone, and I hear there are large buyers coming into the market and they're not buying 1,000-ounce bars. They're going after the investment the, the investment silver. So the reason we're seeing lower prices, I believe it's due to not only is silver an industrial metal, we're still trading on this paper mechanism. And when we see huge declines in the Chinese markets, in the Asian markets, Nikkei in the U.S., uh, they're getting margin calls, and they're selling, they're selling everything. So initially I see the precious metals will fall, their paper price. As the markets continue to collapse, I do see the metals bottoming and reversing. Now, this happened in 2008. The stock market started to decline, and everything went down. I mean, the price of oil up till today, it's, it's, it's up a couple bucks, but up till today, it was $38. I mean, when the stock markets and everything started to fall in 2008, uh, the price of oil was $140, and everything came down in a waterfall. Well, the commodities in gold and silver, they, they bottomed in October, November, and they started to continue higher. Well, the, the broader stock markets, they bottomed in April of 2009. So, and I think this will be much different because we have seen such a dislocation in the broader stock market and in the commodities. They have fallen considerably. I don't think there is much more to fall, even though we could see – uh, lower prices, I think we're still looking for a bottom, but the stock market and the broader stock markets are, they are still way too toppy. And as we see this, this unraveling, I do believe more investment demand will come in and it will start to override that paper price. There will be a lot more pressure on the physical silver demand and physical silver supply that it will finally turn around the price. 
I know you covered the energy markets, of course, very closely as well. And, and one of the, I think, main reasons why the metals have been hurt is because they do trade like commodities at times. And uh, oil has, of course, uh, fallen uh, dramatically over the last several quarters. What do you make of the uh, future of, say, U.S. oil production and uh, supply going forward, given these low prices uh, now under $40 a barrel. Uh, what do you think uh, we have to look forward to there uh, when it comes to oil production, and what kind of impact do you think that may have on the metals? Well, I just had an interesting conversation before we spoke with a uh, gentleman who has um, been in the oil industry for 30 years looking for oil, and do you know what he told me? They're not looking for oil right now. Uh, uh, the, the conventional guys aren't looking for oil, and he's, he's a conventional guy. That's where the profits are. The profits aren't in shale, have never been in shale. But the interesting that he, thing he told me is, do you know what they're doing? Uh, they are looking for injection wells for water. And I, I, I didn't realize this. The problem he sees, and, and that is not discussed, is shale oil produces a lot of water. There's a lot of water, and it has to be injected back into the ground. It can't just be thrown in, in somewhere above-ground reservoir. It's toxic. And he says now they're having problems because of environmental and issues of where to store all this water. And so not only are we going to see declines in shale oil production because their the decline rates are so high, and so when they stop drilling, and that is starting to take place, we will see a huge fall in production towards the end of this year especially if prices remain low, and into 2016. On top of that, as production declines, there less oil is being produced but more water. So they have to even find more places to put the water. This is going to be a major issue going forward, and we may see a double whammy in U.S. oil production because we may run out of places to inject this water, this toxic water. Shale oil production in the U.S. has peaked already, and I want your readers and listeners to understand that. It peaked, and it's either December, January, or in March. So it's done. It was a nice run, but it's over. Uh, and so how it declines going forward will be interesting to see. So I think, according to some analysts I'm looking at, U.S. oil production will decline about 33% by 2020, and it could, it could fall more. And we're looking at a 60 to 70% decline by 2025. That's 10 years away. But that puts U.S. oil production maybe at 3 million barrels, uh, 3 to 4. Right now it's at 9 plus, and we're importing, we're using about 19, 18, 19. What happens if the dollar becomes toast by then? And we can't just trade U.S. Treasuries of dollars for oil. They're, they're going to want real things. So our imports are going to fall off the cliff. And then that, that's the issue investors need to realize. How do you run the system on that little oil? And then what does it do to all the asset prices of real estate, whether it's commercial, residential, industrial, and the businesses? So the best assets to me to own going forward are not real estate or not businesses because we're just going to see the values and the activity plummet in the future. So to me, gold and silver will hold their value. And that's why I look at the energy markets, Mike. The energy markets run the system. And solar and wind, even though they help, they're only 3% of the, of the U.S. market. And they'll never grow to the level we need them. So this is a liquid energy-run system. And so when liquid energy production peaks, 
we're going to be in a world of hurt, and the best way to protect yourself from that is, I believe, in precious metals. It's incredibly interesting times right now, and as, as crazy as it's already been, it does uh, feel like we may be on the verge of, of something significant happening, so we'll have to wait and see. And, of course, we would uh, love to check in with you again very soon to get your great insights as it all unfolds. Uh, well, before we let you go, Steve, tell our listeners about how they can learn more about the SRS Rocker Report, what it is that they'll find there, and what you've been working on. Any of your uh, readers or listeners want to come to and check out my site, it's the SRSRockerReport.com, and I put out two to three articles a week discussing how uh, on energy, the precious metal industry, the mining industry, I will be putting out the quarter two break-even for the primary silver mining industry, and I don't think it fell that much. Um, so with the lower price now in the silver in the 14, 15 range, I believe uh, most of the silver miners now are losing money. So uh, I encourage your readers to check out the site. Uh, I also I, I still have a silver chart report that I put out last month, um, and it's got 48 charts. And if anybody wants an overall look at the silver market, and industry. Uh, this is a great report. I take each chart and I explain it uh, in five different sections of the silver industry. So to get a person who's new into the industry and the market, that, that, that's a great report to check out. So uh, I appreciate the time and uh, hopefully we can do this again shortly. Absolutely will. Well, uh, thanks again, Steve. We'll be we'll be keeping a close eye on your stuff there at the SRS Rock Report. You say two to three articles a week. It seems like it's been a lot more than that recently. I know you've been uh, very busy, and it's always fantastic stuff. We really enjoy it. Uh, and uh, hope you enjoy your weekend and, and get some rest, and, and we'll look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Thanks uh, again, and take care. You too, Mike. Well, that will do it for this week. Thanks again to Steve St. Angelo of the SRS Rocker Report, one of the best metals market-related sites in the entire industry. Be sure to check it out. And check back here next Friday for our next weekly market wrap podcast. Until then, this has been Mike Leeson with Money Metals Exchange. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's Money Metals podcast. Be sure to come back next week. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes for answers to all of your questions or to discreetly and securely buy or sell gold or silver coins, bars, and rounds. Call 1-800-800-1865 or visit www.moneymetals.com. Our knowledgeable and no-pressure specialists are standing by between 7 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Friday. Or you can lock in your order online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Again, visit us at www.moneymetals.com or call 1-800-800-1865.